You are entering the Freedom Hut. The New York Attorney General has decided to do her own special counsel routine and go after Trump, his companies, his family members. We know the deep state has many tricks. We'll have to break down what this one means for him. And also, it's May Day coming up in Caracas, my friends. What's going to happen in Venezuela is a counter coup underway. That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I am back. Here in the swamp after a a much-needed day off. And, boy, we've got a lot of news to cover today. I mentioned Venezuela at the top there. We're also going to get into the latest uh, deep state efforts to destroy this president or at least wound this presidency enough that some very uh, third-tier Democrat candidate can just sort of waltz in and become president of the United States. I know it's it's an appalling thought, but it's one we have to take seriously. The New York State Attorney General showing us how the Democrats play the game. Dirty. Very, very dirty. Also, the Trump administration trying to deal with asylum to change it up so it's no longer this massive loophole. I'm sure there's going to be some Ninth Circuit court opinion that's going to mean the president can't do anything and We'll get into some of that. Also, later on in the show, our friend Tyler Merritt's going to join about a Navy SEAL that Tyler says, and he's a former special operations guy himself, is uh, getting completely uh, unfair treatment from the the government, from the media so far on on his case. And uh, we'll also have an expert on Venezuela joining to talk about what's going on there. But but first, I got to talk to you about this New York state attorney general a a position formerly held uh, by the one and only eric schneiderman who just by way of review for those of you who are keeping score about democrat dirtbags out there uh, schneiderman was a a hero democrats because he was going to use the prosecutorial power which remember folks short of the military turning on the citizens of a country Uh, The prosecutor's office is the single most destructive, most frightening, most fearsome weapon of political vengeance and and oppression that any government's going to have. The the criminal justice system becoming politicized is a massive leap toward tyranny, and Democrats are doing it more with every passing day. They just don't care how it looks. They don't care what it does to the system— They will take down Trump through lawfare any way that they can. Uh, But Schneiderman was a hero to the Democrat left, and in fact, specifically a a kind of Me Too icon for a while, uh, meaning that he was very supportive of all the outing of people for their uh, sexual misconduct and the consequences they were suffering. And, oh, and then it turns out that he was an abusive racist with you know the women in his own life oh this is such a surprise to well nobody who's paying attention but schneiderman stepped down and now we've got a new attorney general in 
New York. The just-elected Leticia James, who will be taking office next month. And she has made it quite clear that the state of New York is going to war with Trump. That's what this is. The state of New York is going to do everything that it can to drudge, uh, to, to dredge up, drudge up, sorry, drudge report on the mind, to dredge up damaging material about the president, to threaten and maybe even imprison some of his associates, maybe even go after some members of his own family. All because why? Democrats hate the president. Now, let's start with some very basic principles here. It is not supposed to be the case that you open an investigation of an individual. You're supposed to open investigations of crimes. Democrats in the era of Trump have largely abandoned this time-worn and honored and very important principle. They just want to get Trump. This is a get-Trump-at-all-costs operation. That's what they're running here, folks. They want to find a way to destroy this president, and they will use and abuse, which is what we're seeing, the law in every way that they possibly can. Here's what NBC News was reporting on today with Attorney General-elect Leticia James coming into office. Quote, she campaigned on passing a bill to change New York's double jeopardy laws with an eye on possible pardons coming out of the White House. James told NBC News she wants to be able to pursue state charges against anyone the president were to pardon over federal charges or convictions and whose alleged crimes took place in the state. Under current New York law, she might not be able to do that. Here's an attorney general. Let's let's really just unpack this room. This is important. This is what this is what your president is up against right now. Here's and you might say, Buck, he's the president. You know, he's got the whole federal government. Oh, no, 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 no. The federal government was turned against this president. His own executive branch employees, Comey and Strzok and and uh, Clapper and well, Brennan had left, but people that were supposed to be the the professionals in the federal bureaucracy turned against him. Sally Yates, his acting attorney general at one point, an anti-Trump lunatic. And now we see that there are state prosecutors, state uh, bureaucrats who also view it as their mandate to leverage their powers for explicitly partisan purposes, which is what this is. I mean, here you have a state attorney general who is saying that or or who ran rather on a platform of let's change the law in New York state. Let's have that. Let's have the legislature change the law in New York state specifically so that when I become your attorney general for the state of New York, I can go after the bad orange man, a.k.a. the president of the United States, Donald Trump. She wants changes in law which I would remind you, I think the double jeopardy law in New York is a good law. I think that it is, and this is, the courts are not really that set on this yet. Uh, I think it's total crap that you can get a federal charge and then a state charge for the exact same conduct. I believe that is double jeopardy. I disagree with people that think that that is not. And New York has a law that says, look, in New York state, if you, if you suffer the, you know, if you go through a federal trial for something, 
or if you have federal charges against you, you know, you, you don't get to do this. Then, well, you beat that. But now we're going to hit you with the state charge for the exact same conduct. I, I think that's more or less what New York has in place. Here you have Leticia James saying we're going to get rid of that. Why? Not because she thinks the law is a bad thing. She wants a change in law so that she can go after. She can go after the president of the United States and his family because he's from New York. So this is why this really matters, right? If, if the state of Montana did this, no offense, Montana, it wouldn't really matter. Because uh, they're not going to be, there's nothing in their jurisdiction but Trump Tower and Trump's businesses. And this is all in New York. So what you have is the federal law enforcement bureaucracy coup against Trump failed. So now you're going to have a state level in New York, in his home state. Now they're going to try the same thing or something similar to uh, arrest the president's associates, to pressure them to turn on him. To I've been telling everybody who will listen at least that you know, Michael Cohen, the fact that Michael Cohen did not have the goods on Trump to really uh, to really put Trump in a in an un- indefensible situation just goes to show you. I mean, that was the president's private lawyer for and he was begging any he'd say anything to try to take the president down. This, they don't they don't have anything. If they had it, we would know they don't have anything. But you have Leticia James saying that. Quote, I think within the first 100 days, this bill will be passed. Uh, this Now that she's taking the attorney general position, she said it is a priority because I have concerns with respect to the possibility that this administration might pardon some individuals who might face some criminal charges, but I do not want them to be immune from state charges. This is a partisan. This is a Democrat saying I want a change in the law in my state so that I can punish theoretical, not even alleged crimes that this person may or may not have committed and people around him may or may not have committed. This is appalling. I mean, this is what we are up against, my friends. Think about this for a moment. This would be like Congress passing some law that says, you know, we we want to pass the, you know, Buck Sexton can't be on radio act because he's just too effective at crushing libs. That's not okay. Oh, to target me in that way. Yes, we crush libs here, but that's, darn it, that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, d- dare I say that what Leticia James is calling for here is, is deeply un-American. I mean, changes in laws intended to, and, and to keep in mind, that's going to mean there are other people now that might face double jeopardy in the state of New York just because she wants to get Trump. She's been pushing for this. Uh And it's because this is now what the Democrats do. You know, if Trump were so bad at his job, if his ideas were so unpopular, if he was such a terrible president, you'd think that they would just, they would find it sufficient to make the case as to why Trump is not a good president. But instead, what you have is all this this desperate conduct, this hyperbolic, anti-Trump, derangement syndrome mania out there where everything Trump does is literally worse than Hitler. And what does that tell you? 
if they had a case to, to make about why he's doing such a bad job, or why not just make that case? It always has to be, no, no, we're going to, we need a special counsel. And now we need an attorney general in the state of New York to go after him. And, you know, and now we need spinoff investigations from the special counsel to go after him. And, and now we've got Congress calling for all these hearings, and, you know, hearing after hearing after hearing. We're going to have Jerry Nadler be like, yeah, you know, I think that you're a bad guy. And uh, uh, I just want to have you, I want an opportunity to grandstand. And, you know, Jerry... We know what you're going to say, buddy. It's nothing new and nothing worth anybody's time. You know, obstruction, a very serious obstruction case here we have to talk about. And no, no, we don't have a very serious obstruction case to talk about. They won't quit, though. One deep state coup failed. Now another one is in the making. Going into a re-election campaign for the president that they could just focus on winning that, but they have to cheat. They have to cheat. You know, that's when we say the word coup, that's important, but also they cheated. There was an effort here to to destroy the president when he was running and and cheat in that whole process, right? By using, by leveraging what's supposed to be a neutral party, the FBI, the intelligence community, and and people were doling out information to the press, all damaging to Trump, none of it damaging to uh to his opponent. And they did this. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were cheating. And then when they lost, they tried to cheat once again by stealing victory from the guy who really won it. And if you think that I'm being a little bit, you know that I'm not, but if you think that I'm being a, a little bit uh, extreme in my deep state part two here, uh, keep in mind that Leticia James, Attorney General of New York State, is bringing together prosecutorial heavy hitters like, quote, former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch as part of her transition to help her identify important hires for her office with an eye on bringing in experts for Trump-related investigations. End quote from NBC here. That's right, my friends. This attorney general for the state of New York is bringing in Obama's attorney general, the woman who met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac, remember, when Hillary was under investigation, who bailed Hillary out of criminal jeopardy that she more than earned because she broke the law, and we all know it. Hillary broke the law, no question about it. James is bringing on Loretta Lynch to help her find the people who, guess what, are the most rabidly anti-Trump former DOJ employees to pull them into her office and try to leverage their posi- their former position and access in the federal government to bring cases against Trump now in New York State. And if you think that New York State cases aren't serious, like, you know, look at what look at what they've done with no collusion. You know, there was no collusion, but we had a two year long special counsel looking into this fantasy, this fable. You don't think that they'll do something similar in New York State? These people have no ethics. There's no good faith. There's no decency in their approach. They are on a search and destroy mission. They think that they are either saving the country from Trump or saving the country for themselves. I don't know. But they fight very, very dirty, and we need to be prepared for it. Got a whole lot more show coming up, my friends. Oh, also immigration, asylum, man, we've got so much to cover, so stay with me. If we had any doubt before um, about this president's fitness for office. 
If we had any doubt before um, about this president's fitness for office, there is no doubt remaining. He is unfit for the presidency. But, but this was our big gun. Now it just looks like you're stalking him. The Mueller report. Bill Maher says there was their big gun. He's correct. That was the liberal mentality here. That is what they believed. They thought that Mueller, that St. Mueller was going to deliver them from all of Trump's sins. That St. Mueller was going to come along, although I guess a lot of libs don't really believe in saints or probably God for that matter. But they, they believe that this was their deliverance. And yet it did not happen. And there's very little, if any, sense among the Democrats that they should take a step back and maybe reevaluate what it is that they've been telling the American people on this for uh, over two years now. No sense at all that there should be any deference uh, to perhaps the executive branch going forward with its ability to operate unfettered of bad faith investigation of course not right they're not gonna do any of that they're gonna try to just ambush sandbag you know just mess over trump as much as they possibly can with these investigations and and what Mueller did was uh, was very intentional you know i i asked a very a very senior government lawyer recently i said have you ever seen before a prosecutor who is playing the role of prosecutor and says, I'm not just going to decline charges. I'm going to say that somebody else has to make this call, even though it's my call. And the guy's like, no, I've never seen that before. And somebody else who's in the room said, well, what about what Comey did? I said, oh, no, 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 no. Comey was the head of the FBI. He was not a prosecutor. He was an investigator in that role. He's not the prosecutor. He's not the, he's not the attorney general. That's not his call. So it wasn't Comey's call to make for Hillary Clinton's emails. But what Comey did was... For what you could say was a close call, although I don't think it was close. Hillary broke the law. She should have paid the price. But what they were saying was a judgment call. Comey said no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. Then fast forward to what happened with Mueller. On what is a judgment call, should there be an obstruction? And again, I don't think this is close either, but that's, of course, my opinion. But it is there is some judgment call here. Instead of Mueller doing what Comey did and say, you know, it could go either way, but it's going this way and that's the way it should go, he left it open-ended. Why? So that we could hear from, you know, Nadler and Schiff and all these crazy anti-Trump jerks up on Capitol Hill about how we need to talk about obstruction. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. The 2020 budget would strengthen the security of our nation through enhanced border security, immigration enforcement, cybersecurity, transportation security, counterterrorism and resilience to disasters. With regard to border security, as you're all aware, we're in the midst of an ongoing security and humanitarian crisis at our southwest border. The department, at the request of our frontline officers and agents, has worked with this committee to make clear that we need additional resources to respond to the crisis. Uh, in March alone, CBP apprehended and encountered over 103,000 migrants crossing without legal status, the most in one month for over a decade. 
103,000, my friends. Over 100,000, just as I have been promising you all month. Went down to Texas to see for myself what's going on. And sure enough, it is a mess at our southern border. Democrats are fine with it. They encourage it. They like it. They prefer this situation of lawlessness, of the exploitation both of people that are trying to evade our immigration laws, but I understand it's to get a better life for themselves, um, and also enriching the cartels along the way and taking advantage of the generosity of the American people and our generous spirit and our desire to be a country that is a, a beacon of hope and light and liberty for the world, but it's not going to stay that way if we can't say who comes and goes. We won't have a country if we don't have sovereignty, and we are losing sovereignty with every passing day. Now, the situation is going to be bad this month as well. Will it be over 100,000? We will have to see. Illegal crossings are on pace to hit over a million for this year. And so the president is doing what he can to try to fix this situation, a situation that I would point out if if he were a Democrat and if it had been a Republican before him, you would constantly be hearing about how the president inherited this situation. The president inherited the situation from his predecessor. That is true in this case. President Trump did inherit this situation from his predecessor. But you won't ever come across that as a main media narrative because they like that Trump has to deal with this. And all they want to talk about is the separation of parents from children at the border, also known as a criminal prosecution. Parents are separated from children in this country every day, separated from American citizens every day for arrest unless there's a uh, a parent or guardian who can take custody of the child right away they are put in the care of child services this happens all the time anyone who's in law enforcement knows this right if there's a if a mother's driving drunk and there's a kid in the back seat and the mother is going to go down uh go down to the the jail to get processed there's going to be a separation that occurs you don't get to bring the kid with you into the prison or into the jail but that's all the media wants to talk about. There are other major seams in this process. There are other things that we need to address in the immigration system as it is right now. And President Trump is trying to do that. He has called for new rules for asylum seekers that will involve charging a fee. Oh, you mean that they should have to pay? Just like I, you know, a lot of places you have to pay a visa fee and, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I actually had a, had a liberal today on my panel who said, you know, oh, they these people can't afford these fees, really, because they afford the five, six, seven thousand dollars they're paying the Mexican cartel coyotes to get them to the border. And those who are wondering, well, Buck, why is it that they pay these fees if all they have to do is show up at the border? Ah, because this is now a this is now effectively a protection racket, right? The old mafia model with a protection racket is. You know, that's a nice story you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. But, you know, we can keep your store safe if you just pay us, you know, 10% of the house take every month or whatever it is. And at the border now, if you're going to be a migrant who shows up at the border as part of one of these caravans, the cartels are controlling who is showing up for these illegal crossings, and you have to pay off the cartels. 
That's how the cartels are getting very, very rich all along the way. Uh, richer, I should say, because they're obviously already making billions of dollars off of the illicit drug trade. Uh, but paying a fee to the U.S. government for the, at least in some way, maybe defraying the cost of additional immigration judges, Customs and Border Patrol officer overtime, all, that seems entirely reasonable to me. That's one of the, that's one of the uh, President Trump rules for asylum seekers that they're hoping to put in place. Limiting their ability to work legally. Yeah, that's right. You're an asylum seeker. We don't know if you're going to be able to stay. So, because here's what happens. If, if they get a job, well, then, oh, then they're going to go into court and they're going to say, you know, I have a job here now. I'm, I'm in the community. And they try to establish roots. And then if you say, hold on a second, I only promised that you could be here until you had your asylum process. You know, until you got your due process, I, I didn't promise you could stay just because you happen to be here while you're getting your asylum due process. Then you're heartless. Then you're a mean person. You're a racist. You're a xenophobe. You're all these things they'll say. We know this. So he's trying to curb their ability to work legally in this country. I'm sure they're going to work illegally, I'm sure. Many of them will. But. At least they're not supposed to be on the books. Because, you know, states like California, they're going to give them IDs. They're going to give them. And we're going to be told that the, the, the fabric of our nation is, is being carried on the backs of the waiting for asylum crowd that has illegally crossed into this country and is now abusing our system. And we know they're abusing our system, but Democrats are aiding and abetting them. And then here's the big one. Or maybe I think this, you could say, is the biggest one. Trump wants courts, immigration courts, to resolve their claims within 180 days. So this is going to put the courts on overdrive. You're going to come in. You're going to say your thing. And you're going to go. And that's and one other part of this that I'm hoping they put in place is, you know, they're going to have to deal with you can't get additional hearings after your asylum hearing and you know essentially allowing you to to contest that's the law right now you can contest your deportation order specifically after you've been denied asylum that's this is crazy this is trump is right when he says that we have we have essentially idiotic immigration laws on this he's right democrats don't want to admit this because they like what's going on but trump is telling the truth our, our laws are idiotic around this stuff they absolutely are and Trump is trying to change the game here. And by making this all happen within 180 days, now you have a realistic chance of a few things. One, just dealing with this backlog will send a message of control. And if you do this properly, then the word gets out that, no, 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 you can apply for asylum, but if you don't get it, you're going to find out within six months and they're going to send you back to your country of origin then the flow starts to stop because here's what the Democrats fight tooth and nail at every opportunity. They do not want there to be any adverse consequences to breaking our immigration laws. So they're all for, oh, the process, this and that, the laws, but they, they will not allow there to be any enforcement of the law that results in any negative consequence for any immigrant, illegal immigrant who comes into the country, illegal alien, I should say, because then that in and of itself will begin to deplete the flow of these migrants coming in and exploiting the asylum process when they are really economic migrants. 
And as I have said time and again, that does not make them bad people. I'm not saying they're evil. I have no, I have no animosity toward the illegal aliens that are coming across the border and claiming asylum. They just see this as the Americans are dumb enough. Well, then that makes me feel a little animosity. But they, they see this as the American system is dumb enough. And, you know, this is my chance and I'm going to take it. This is my chance at a better life. And so I'm going to skip the line. You know, this is if I don't jump in front of this airport line, I'm going to miss my flight. Sorry, folks, I'm going to jump in front of the airport line. You know, that's uh, and I, I had to pull a little bit of that yesterday. I almost got delayed at the airport and the whole thing. And I didn't jump in front of people, but I had to I had to sweet talk someone to do something to my ticket. And man, that stuff gets stressful. But I digress. Uh, the, the Trump plan here is a good one. Um, it's a it's moving in the right direction. And from the memo, it says this strategic exploitation of our nation's humanitarian programs undermines our nation's security and sovereignty. The purpose of this memorandum is to strengthen asylum procedures to safeguard our system against rampant abuse of our asylum process. And the memo directs Attorney General William Barr uh, to propose regulations within 90 days that would change the rules for asylum. And this is where we get into exact, the fee and the 180 days. You're going on a million cases in the backlog here. I mean, that's just that's just stratospheric. That is completely out of control. So work your way through the backlog. Have people pay a fee to help defray some of the costs. No working so that you can establish routes. And then the, the big part of this is going to be streamlining the deportation process for those that are denied asylum, which is going to be about 90%. And not just those who show up and don't get it, but if you don't show up at your hearing, there should be a deportation order on you right away. It should be a default. And they should exercise that that warrant. I mean, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement should track down people that don't show up for their asylum hearing and actively and expeditiously deport them. If that does not happen... This problem only gets worse. It will be 100000 a month every month until the poorest and neediest from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras have flooded into this country and plan to stay indefinitely, forever. That's what will happen. And you can say, well, Buck, those are three countries. They're not that big. The population is that. Okay, but what about the next surge? What about the next country that, you know, we got a we got big problems in Venezuela. We're going to be talking about Venezuela in the second hour of the show. You effectively have a, a struggle, a violent struggle for power going on now in the streets of Venezuela. It has turned a corner and, and gone into a very, and this is a very important moment, but it's also a very precarious moment for that country. But what if the worst happens there? What if the Maduro government opens fire? There's just outright totalitarianism, oppression. Uh, widespread violence, crackdowns, executions of... I mean, it happened in Cuba, right? I mean, you, you look at the history of Latin America, this would not be that... I'd say, I was going to say it's uh, beyond the pale, not even close. This wouldn't even be that surprising under the circumstances. What if we get you know, 100,000 people want to come from Venezuela? And what about the... You know, you just keep going down this list. You say, what point are we allowed to object to this? What point are we allowed to have a problem with what's going on here? Um... Trump administration is making the right move. I have concerns that you're going to see what you've had time and again, which is a Ninth Circuit judge. It'll probably be the Ninth Circuit. It'll probably be a federal judge sitting in San Francisco. will say that some aspect of what the 
administration is doing here that falls within the executive branch, within their purview, some aspect of it violates an Administrative Procedure Act or something and therefore strikes it down. They just want to do everything they can. The left is open borders and wants to keep the border open at all costs. That's the plan. Doesn't matter what they have to do to the rule of law in the process. Doesn't matter what they have to do to our sovereignty. They're they're on board. They're on board with open borders. Um, let's talk a little bit about Biden because I, I'm a major, and it's not just I don't like Biden as a candidate, disagree with him and all that. That's all, you know that. That's baked into the cake here. I don't think Biden is nearly as formidable as even some of my Republican friends do. I don't think he's going to be the nominee. I don't think he's impressive. I don't think he's their guy, but I'm open to alternative theories. We'll be right back. I want to thank uh, uh, Rich Fitzgerald, the county executive, Allegheny County executive, for being here. And all my time in public life, from since I've gotten involved, the country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge, and hedge fund managers. If the enterprise hits hard times, everybody took a hit. Union workers, the UAW took incredible cuts in their future and their, and their pensions and the left to get GM working. They also got that last year and try to cut wages or freeze wages for their people. Right today, the same is happening in big, hospital, in big hospital systems. I think we have to rethink how we define what constitutes a, su- a successful economy. In America, don't think their children are gonna have the same standard of living they had. How can a person, dignity be maintained, be so, uh, why, why they do that? It means investing much more in medical research to, comfort, to conquer devastating diseases like cancer and addiction and Alzheimer's. Extredible. Yeah, yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah. Biden reminds me a little bit of the Ron Burgundy scene where I think it's Steve Carell's like, why are we yelling? Why, why is he just yelling everything? It, it all feels so very forced. It's so it's so cheesy. It's so cliched. It's we, we've heard all this from him before. None of this is interesting. None of this is exciting. What are the Democrats thinking? This is this is the best that they can put forward. They've got all these, they've got 20 candidates, and Biden is far and away in the lead, far and away. And he's never been impressive. How is it possible that the Democrats don't have somebody who's at least a, a, a little more interesting as their front runner? Well, I'm, I'm telling you right now, and we'll go back and we'll play the tape on this one because I'm, I'm pretty confident in this prediction. I don't think that, I don't think that Biden is going to pull it off. I don't think I don't mean that he's not going to win. I don't think that he's going to be the Democrat nominee. I just and look, it's very hard to make these predictions. Everybody that thought that they well, not a lot. A lot of you listening actually knew that Trump was going to win. And I don't know how you did that. And you're some kind of magicians out there in Team Buckland. But you know, all the political class didn't know that Trump was going to win. You're laughing. You're like, yeah, I know. But Biden, it's tough, tough to make these predictions, but I'm predicting Biden can't win. I mean, also. The stuff he's saying about tax cuts, just not true. Play 16 here. Everybody knows it. The middle class is hurting. It's hurting now. 53% of the folks in America don't think their children are going to have the same standard of living they had. To the best of my knowledge, it's the first time that's happened in a long, long, long time. The stock market is roaring, but you don't feel it. There was $2 trillion tax cut last, last year. Did you feel it? Did you get anything from it? Of course not. Of course not. All of it went to folks at the top. 
and corporations that pay no taxes, the number of corporations that pay no taxes now has doubled since that tax. Look, guys, this is not good. Yeah, it's not good, Joe. Your whole speech, not good. Your whole approach, not good. Uh, Democrats are going to have to do better. I mean, I hope they don't. So in a sense, maybe I should just be quiet and let them put Joe Biden forward. But this guy, he's just not a winner. Never has been. And I, I think there's a a lot of stuff about his background. And there's stuff, some stuff, some family stuff that's going to come out that's not going to be good for the Dems, my friend. So they better find another front runner and find one fast. When it comes to Ben Rhodes, remember, he's the same guy who told us the catalyst for Benghazi and the attack that took place there where four Americans gave their life for our country. He's the same guy who told us it was all caused by a video. So I don't put a whole lot of weight in what he says. What I do know is an opposition research document was the basis to go get a warrant to do what? Spy on a person associated with the Trump campaign. I do know those things happen. And it seems to me, based on what Bill Barr, Bill Barr said a couple weeks ago, he thinks there may be more there. We know 10 days after what we now know as Hurricane Crossfire, the investigation into Trump, that there was a briefing at the White House with uh, Obama's chief of staff. And, and so to suggest that they didn't know anything is just not accurate. Obama knew stuff. I think that's quite obvious, but somehow that hasn't gotten nearly the attention that it should. Um, somehow that doesn't, that doesn't rate for the media. Uh, where, where was Obama on all of this? I, w- what kind of a hand in this during an election year? I mean, you, you know, we're going to talk about Venezuela later this hour. People are using the term coup a lot. You're hearing the term coup. And there's a fight over whether that's an accurate description. Or is it a counter coup? Is it a, uh, We had an attempted coup in this country. We had elements of the Democratic Party, the media, and the federal bureaucracy try to stop and then end a president who was duly elected by over you know, 60 million of his fellow Americans. We had that happen here in America. And this hasn't really yet settled, you know, this hasn't yet found its way into the, the bloodstream in D.C. in a way that it's going to have to, but I'm not going to forget this. Others, like me, aren't going to forget this. Um, and, you know, this is something we have to take very, very seriously because all the sanctimony about, oh, our democracy is at stake when it came to Russia collusion, which did not exist, that stuff truly applies to what we're talking about here. The abuse of FISA, the Obama administration's machinations behind the scenes here, or or lack of oversight even. I mean, could you imagine walking into the Oval Office and saying, yeah, you know, we, we have this this oppo research document that's essentially just a collection of rumors that's all it is that is what the dossier was rumors you know i could go around and pull together chat room comments on news stories involving politicians of all all sort of crazy stuff if i pulled all that together put it in a document and showed up at the fbi and they opened up a fisa warrant on somebody based on that crap lousy nonsense that i pulled together Everybody would know that that was just incredibly unethical and wrong and an abuse and unconstitutional. And that's what happened here. Except instead of it being chat room comments on the Internet where, you know, people in the comment section always freak out. 
it was Russian subsources of Christopher Steele for the dossier. If that is sufficient to get a FISA warrant, then effectively anything that you could think of is sufficient to get a FISA warrant. I mean, you know, you could just make it up. If there's no verification process for the information that's going to go before a FISA court, which clearly there is not, then what you have is a backdoor means to leverage the spying power, that's what it is, of the federal government against political opponents, and that is what happened. That is exactly what what happened. Uh, I agree with Newt here. Speaking of coups, there's the Venezuela. Is it a coup or not? And then there's the what happened here with Trump. A tale of two coups, if you will. Here's the Newtster. Play nine. This was an attempted coup d'etat. This was an effort by a group of people to undermine the choice of the American people because they had arrogated to themselves that they were morally superior and they had the right to deny us the constitutional system. That's what it was. The challenge to the president and to Attorney General Barr is to have the nerve to calmly and methodically get everything out in the open. Let the American people see how sick the system had gotten. I've been talking to sources this week here in D.C. that are high up in the federal government about this, and and I'm being assured, I have been assured, that there will be a an accounting for what happened here. But I'm going to tell you this, and you know, I meaning that the the spying and the effort to, to undermine Trump, not just undermine him, to push him aside, a, a coup d'état, to remove him as the head of state in this country. That is what happened. That is what they were trying to do. It is obvious. It is clear at this point. But here's my problem. Even if we get some degree of transparency out of this process, even if there is, and I think I think Bill Barr is a stud. I mean, I think that guy is a superstar, um, and he's not a he's not a showboater, but he knows the law, and he doesn't care what they're going to say about him. And he'll, th- th- Bill Barr is what Trump needs. Bill Barr needs people who know the law know what's coming for them, and will stand and fight effectively. He doesn't need some of the clown show that he unfortunately has, has put around him at different points in the administration. I mean, I, we're past the point, my friends, where we could say that Trump only picks the best people, maybe for his companies, maybe in his businesses, not the case in government. I'm, you know, I, I give you, well, I'm not even, you know, it's not even worth naming, you know, Michael Cohen. I mean, I start naming the names, you'd be here all night. Uh but Bill Barr is going to get the information out there. That doesn't mean there's going to be consequences. Bureaucracies are incredibly adept at evading consequences for the people inside of them who misstep as long as they were doing so and not harming the actual bureaucracy, right? So if I work at the FBI and I do something really bad, as long as it doesn't hurt the FBI, uh, then then they're going to find a way to mitigate the consequences against that individual. This is true across the federal government. I mean, I, I could, you know, agency after agency, I could go through and tell you about examples of this. You know, if you work at the CIA, and if you come at the CIA, you're going to get crushed. If you mess up, but, you know, you were doing your job and you're well thought of at the agency, you're probably going to be okay. 
you know, just go from place to place within the federal government, and that's, that's the case. Uh, but this was an attempted coup, and we need to have a full accounting for that. I also want to note that whenever they start to talk about how the investigation was about Russia collusion, I mean, that's just a lie. I mean, the investigation was of Trump. It really wasn't, because Russia collusion is effectively irrelevant. It was minor. It was a blip. It was a pretextual rationalization for all the things that they did to Trump. All right. That's that's what it was. I mean, Russia collusion was not something that changed the election that any. And, and if you need proof of that, all you have to do is think about why is it that the Obama administration, when all this stuff is going on, he's getting briefings about it. He's being told about this. And we know how how panicked people like John Brennan and James Clapper and others supposedly were in the 2016 election, as all of this is happening, we know, we've been told so many times, oh my gosh, the Russians, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. And yet, they didn't do anything. They waited to see if Hillary was going to win. They made a political calculation. The Obama administration made a political calculation not to take definitive or even in any kind of meaningful action about the Russia interference, because I'm almost positive that there was some discussion in the Oval Office at some point involving Obama on this issue. I mean, this is just, I'm surmising here, but I, I'm telling you I'm right. And they're like, look, I mean, you know, so this Russian stuff's going on. We, we don't want to make a big deal of this. It's not, it's not going to change the election. Hillary's going to win. And if we make a big deal of it and Hillary wins, then they'll say that it was an illegitimate election. Then the right will come out with all their conspiracy theories. So what they did was the Obama administration suppressed this because it was in their electoral interest to do so. Not It wasn't about the national security of this country. It was, it was about their electoral interests. And Rod Rosenstein, who you know I'm not a fan of. I am not a Rod Rosenstein person. I think that Rod, I mean, Rod, Rod I'm going to wear a wire to prove the president's crazy. And keep in mind, think about how stupid this guy is. Even if he wore that wire and he got the president, what, calling out the fake news media? Call, you know, we, we've never heard anything from any of these people that really suggests the president's crazy. I mean, to remove the president using the 25th Amendment, it would have to be the president is seeing pink elephants flying around in the sky and he can't remember his name and he is not of sound mind. Is Rod Rosenstein not smart enough to understand that the president saying things that offend Rod Rosenstein's delicate little Democrat sensibilities doesn't count as you need to get removed from being president of the United States? So I don't know how smart Rosenstein is. I mean, let's start with that. But he did come out, give credit where it's due, and uh, take a little swipe at the Obama administration for making a choice. And it was a choice. They decided that this is the way it was going to be, making a choice to not make a big deal out of this. Play clip five. Previous administration chose not to publicize the full story about Russian computer hackers and social media trolls and how they relate to Russia's broader strategy to undermine America. The FBI disclosed classified information about that investigation to selected lawmakers and their staffers. Someone selectively leaked information to the news media. The FBI director disclosed at a congressional hearing 
that there was a counterintelligence investigation that might result in criminal charges. Yeah. There was uh, there was a whole lot of lawbreaking going on in this process, too. I, I want to know who was leaking all this stuff. I want them to get who leaked Flynn's phone call, because I'm telling you, that 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 is to leak that kind of spying information to the press for for partisan uh, you know, as a partisan weapon, that needs to be rooted out. I mean, that needs to be punished severely. That person should go to prison for years, years. And I think it was a senior, I think it was a senior official at the Department of Justice under the Obama administration. I really do. Do I think they'll ever get him? I don't, it depends. Or her. Could be a her. Uh, do I think they'll ever get that person? I don't know. But I, I you know, that that's a serious crime. And you know, we, don't, we don't hear much about it all from the media because they don't want to talk about that crime. They want to talk about these other make-believe crimes that supposedly happened involving Trump and Russia and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm not going to drop this one, my friends. I'm not going to let, uh, let this fall by the wayside. What has been going on in this country the last two years with the Mueller probe is a, uh, is a disgrace. Uh, I think that Mueller, in a, just out of spite, you know, walked out of the house and decided to light the curtains on fire. You know, just 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 take out a lighter and just light him. Oh, I didn't I didn't do anything terrible. I just, you know, yeah, he knew what was going to happen. He's created Mueller's created a roadmap for Congress to impeach the president of the United States. He used the office he had as a special special counsel to set the Democrats up for an impeachment proceeding against the president and to prevent what is really the worst fear the Democrats have is not. Russia interfering in our election. It's not even Russia picking our next president. Their worst fear is Donald Trump winning re-election. That is their worst fear. That is the thing that really keeps them up at night. And that is a fear that they should have because I think it is very likely that's what's going to happen. They, I'm sure, hate to hear that, but that is the reality. Uh, We've got more team coming up. Stay with me. This is an epidemic, and we have a president who will not, who not only will not acknowledge that we have an epidemic of white nationalist terror after New Zealand said just a few people, he's providing the mood music for it. That is the reality we face. Yeah, I think the president needs to at some point look in the mirror and you understand that the rhetoric, the words he uses in all of this, inflame this big part of what's going on in America, give permission to the most craziest people in America. And it happens in part because there's a climate set at the top of unbelievable, constant lies and hostility and, and division in this country. The conspiracy theories cited by these neo-Nazis in Pittsburgh and New Zealand and now outside San Diego, conspiracy theory that Trump never condemned and actually uh, seemed to support. And remember, Donald Trump just over the last couple of days have been defending what he said in Charlottesville. And it echoed, called back into our memory, right? Something that just happened not too long ago. What happened in Pittsburgh? Donald Trump and all of this hate Right. It's part of the environment of today. And he, he bears some responsibility for it. And we don't know if it has any connection to um, to the politics that's going on. But I mean, it would be a stretch to, to say that it does. It's always Trump's fault. You see, Every, everything bad that happens, uh, according to the left, must be Trump's fault because Trump is the evil, bad orange man that haunts liberals dreams and they can't ever just think about it a, an event for what it really was and for in this case the uh, the atrocity of of a shooting yet another shooting in a house of worship 
uh, they have to find a way to tie it immediately to the president of the United States. It, it is it is his fault. You know, the president who has a son-in-law who is Jewish and who is his top advisor. Uh, Jared Kushner is the president's number one advisor from everyone that I've spoken to in this White House. Uh, he has a daughter who he's obviously thinks the world of and she converted to Judaism. But the media would have us believe that President Trump is some kind of a, a secret anti-Semite. This is really the this is the line they're going to go with. This is the way they're going to try to make this baggage for Trump. Well, the answer is, oh, yes, yes, of course, that that's what they do. They claim that the president is divisive. And then they tell you and me that the president, the guy that you voted for, not all of you, maybe, but most of you that listen to this and that I voted for, that guy, he's the reason for this. So if you support him, what does that say about you? That's what they want you to take away from this. That's their version of events here. That's what they're presenting you in the media. And, you know, here's CNN's Don Lemon and Alan Navarro, two of the dumbest people on television, talking about how they don't, they don't even, when the president condemns what happened they don't believe his condemnation play clip one instead of trafficking in bigotry in racism and anti-semitism in hate and making excuses for us i want to believe it i want to believe it i'm going to be real how do you believe him what should we believe you don't believe him we all saw and we all know that he didn't say a word about the black churches we all know that he didn't say a word condemning steve king the congressman from uh iowa so it's time after time after time after time no but you 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 want to believe it you want to you want to but we need to but i don't know that we can yeah they're delusional Navarro and I don't know who else that was a lemon and some other voice came in there. They're, they're delusional. You can't believe that the president condemns bigotry and yet they can't believe that he's condemning bigotry. The president had nothing to do with this shooter, had nothing to do with this situation, but it is his fault. You know, this this is just so destructive and and I, and I would argue so dishonest but this is what the Democrats do now. They find a way to tie everything to President Trump that is negative and nasty because there are people that will believe it, that are this wacko. Trump has deranged them to the, to the extent where, you know, if, it, if it's bad weather in Philly, it's because of Trump. I mean, it's just nuts. The Venezuelan opposition leader, Juan Guaido, is launching what he calls the final stage of Operation Freedom to try to topple the disputed president, Nicolas Maduro. And a warning about this next video. Earlier this afternoon, we watched as an armored military vehicle plowed full speed through a crowd of protesters. Now you have armored vehicles in Venezuela under the uh, command of uh, Nicolas Maduro running over opposition figures uh, where is all of this heading in venezuela we have Ana rosa quintana joining us now she is a policy analyst at the heritage foundation she specializes in latin america Anna, great to have you back hey nice to have, nice to talk to you so okay what do we need to know about today in venezuela 
I mean, yeah, so so today is a, a very pivotal day, right? I mean, so Guaido, originally the protests were supposed to take place tomorrow, um, but Guaido was told by sources in the military that uh, Maduro had planned on arresting him. So that's why they moved up the demonstrations to today. And today we saw publicly many military officials were publicly defecting and publicly recognizing Guaido, which is that's pretty significant. Uh, we saw that Leopoldo Lopez, who had been in prison for about five years, is was finally free for a few hours and was on the street and was demonstrating as well. He's now at the Chilean uh, ambassador's residence uh, seeking refuge there. I think what we're seeing right now is, you know, we're seeing uh, something inevitable. What what it's going to lead to, nobody really knows. Is Guaido going to be successful? Is he going to be arrested? Is he going to potentially going to be killed? I mean, nobody really knows. It's a very dynamic and evolving situation. On this point about whether or not this is a coup, there's a lot of chatter back and forth in the press in this country on, on that specific verbiage, whether or not it's proper to call it a coup. What do you say? I mean, it's it's absolute Maduro propaganda to call this a coup, because one, if you call this a coup, then you recognize that Maduro is Venezuela's legitimate leader. And it's very well known that the May 2018 elections were highly fraudulent. He he stole, he stole the elections, right? The, the only legitimate electoral body in Venezuela's country is the country's National Assembly, which is why on January 10th, the day that was supposed to be Maduro's inauguration day, uh, Juan Guaido uh, became Venezuela's president according to Article 233 of Venezuela's Constitution, if there exists a void in the – if there exists a void in the head of state, the head of the National Assembly assumes the presidency. And that was Juan Guaido. He was the head of the National Assembly. So, no, this is not a coup whatsoever. Now, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if Guaido's forces and, – and, by the way, for those listening, is this – you know, you said there are demonstrations, but there was there was a lot of gunfire today. There's video circulating of the armored vehicle running over some people who are obviously part of the opposition. Is there is there a, a military component to this? There are military defections. I mean, who has the advantage here when it comes to the the ability to project force on the streets? I mean, it's 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 quite clear that, unfortunately, Maduro has the, the upper hand in this respect because Maduro has Cuba's police state backing him, right? And this is why you haven't seen these widespread military defections because this police state system was created to identify and prevent widespread defections. And, and the, the defections that we've seen today, I mean, these soldiers and these military officials are incredibly brave because they're putting their, their lives in danger, their families' lives in danger. Um, so, I mean, I think it's it's a matter of this is a time when, I, and I hate using the term international community, but this is actually a time for the international community and democracy and freedom-loving countries, particularly the 54 that recognize Guaido, to stand up and let Maduro know that there are going to be strong consequences, one, if anything happens to Maduro, and two, if he finally does not step down. I mean, there's a lot that these other countries have not done. They are not replicating U.S. sanctions. They are not seizing Maduro and his officials' illicit assets inside of their countries. They're not revoking the visas of the families living inside of Spain and Canada and other countries living incredibly luxuriously. Um, so they still have not fully actualized uh, pressure campaign against Maduro, which is why he still thinks he has time. And I mean, they need if they're going to support Maduro, they, they need to they need to do this. Now, people in this country generally, I think, seem 
to be on board for supporting Gu- those who are paying attention and who care. Uh, Guaido versus Maduro. Maduro is a socialist. He's a thug. He's a bad guy. He runs what is effectively a a narco state, which I think never really gets enough attention that some of the top people in the Venezuelan government are sanctioned by the Treasury Department for being narco traffickers, uh, which tells you a lot about the, the governance of, of this country. But there's also this left wing narrative you keep hearing of we should stay out. This isn't really our problem. What do you say to that? I mean, I, I think that is such absurdity, right? Just on the point of, of the narco part. I mean, it's people, it's Venezuelan officials at the highest levels who are directly involved in drug trafficking. And you know, we talk about the opioid crisis in the United States, but we neglect to talk about the fact that we still have a massive cocaine crisis in this country. And we neglect to talk about how the cocaine crisis continues destabilizing South America, Central America, and Mexico, and the United States. Venezuela is then vice president. When he was designated as a drug trafficking kingpin, they found over $500 million of drug trafficking related assets directly in the United States. And he's only one person. There have been dozens of others who've been sanctioned and designated as drug trafficking kingpins as well. And so the, the threat of drugs, this is a nonpartisan issue. And this is something that affects everybody, regardless of the ideology that, that you believe in. And so this is an area where I think the United States and other countries need to be proactively engaged to mitigate the damage that these guys are causing. On the point about the military balance of power here, here's what uh, National Security Advisor Bolton said about Maduro and, and his the degree of support for him in the military. I want to have you react to it. Play clip 19. What do you think the chances that this uprising will work on? Well, I don't think it's support in the military for the Maduro regime. I think it's fear. I think it's fear of the 20 to 25,000 Cuban security forces in the country. Uh, I think it's fear of the consequences if uh, adhering to the constitutional mandate of the interim president fails. But I think really now what we're seeing is the people of Venezuela, this has been building for a long time, uh, that if this effort fails, uh, they will sink into a dictatorship from which uh, there are very few possible alternatives. It's a very delicate moment. I want to stress again, the president wants to see a peaceful transfer of power from Maduro to Guaido. That possibility still exists if enough figures uh, depart from the regime and support the opposition. And a fair to say that that possibility of a peaceful transfer of power is fading rapidly? I, I mean, I, I think the, the longer this drags out and the longer Maduro believes that he can hold on and the longer the Russians believe that Maduro believe, that Maduro can hold on, I, I think, yes, it does reduce the ability. It doesn't fully eliminate it, though, right? I mean, I think Maduro needs to believe that he has no other options and he still has not gotten to that point. And I truly believe it's because other countries have not reciprocated and not replicated the U.S.'s sanctions regime. I think once we get to that point, because the that the the internal pressure campaign in Venezuela is there. I mean, we're seeing Venezuelans consistently risking their lives, pushing back against the regime. We're seeing international actors, you know, international players, right, the, the 54 countries voicing diplomatic support, but really only one or two countries, the United States and at times the Canadians, really pushing back and, you know, putting teeth behind these words. And I think until other countries do more, I mean, it's really he's not going to, he's not going to step down. You think right now, given what's happening on the streets of Venezuela, and people are obviously seeing the videos, and there's some very harrowing footage of, of gunfire and, and uh, people on, on both sides. Of, I think it's an overpass or a bridge when there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, gunfire going on. 
Do you, do you think that if the Venezuelan military is given the order to open fire on a large on a large group of anti-Maduro protesters, do you think that they would do it? Um, I, I, I mean, I think so. I think we've seen these situations before where you've seen the military attacking unarmed protesters. I mean, I can remember back in 2014 when the uprisings, when there were massive anti-government uprisings, when Leopoldo Lopez was originally arrested. I mean, the videos coming out of Venezuela of just them slaughtering unarmed students were just were, were horrific. And we saw videos of tanks running over students. And there was very little impetus, even by then President Obama, to respond to this. And any chance just, of a U.S. I mean, you mentioned Obama. I mean, do, do you think that there's any way that the U.S. could realistically find itself having to take some kind of a military position here? Um, I honestly, I would hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't get to that, right? Because it, this is not just the U.S.'s problem. This is Colombia's problem. This is Brazil's problem. This is Canada's problem. This is everybody else's problem. It's not just a U.S. problem. And this is not the U.S. is not the only country who has the capability to really put an end to this crisis. And they shouldn't leave it up to us to to deal with it. Anna Quintana over at Heritage. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. No, it was great talking to you. All right, team. We'll be right back. This is obviously a very serious situation. Uh, the president has been monitoring it minute by minute throughout the day, uh, as have his advisors. Uh, we see this now as a potentially dispositive moment in the efforts of the Venezuelan people to regain their freedom, which we fully support. We think it's uh, still very important for key uh, figures in the regime who have been talking to the opposition over these last three months uh, to make good on their commitments to uh, achieve the peaceful transfer of power uh, from the Maduro clique to interim president Juan Guaido. The Cubans, we believe, have uh, uh, played a very significant role in propping Maduro up today, possibly with uh, help from the Russians. That's the speculation, certainly, in Caracas. We think this demonstrates why we need Venezuela ruled by the people of Venezuela and not by external forces. Just some final thoughts here on what's happening in Venezuela. There you had uh, uh, National Security Advisor Bolton give a kind of overview statement of what's happening uh, right now down to our south in Venezuela. And I, I do think that it's easy to overstate uh, how much this does affect us. And I, I would want to put in some context here that at the at the end of the day Venezuela being a disaster or not it we want it to be a happy prosperous country and that would be best for the people of Venezuela be best for our hemisphere and certainly for US companies that have assets there and the oil markets and you know our, our access to Venezuelan crude does these things do have effects on us I'm not saying we are and then you add in the drug component of this the illegal drugs that are flowing uh, from Venezuela with state support uh, all the way up into the United States. But but ultimately, this really is a Venezuelan problem. And I think that part of what the Trump administration has been promising us all along is that we wouldn't do what recent administrations have done, which is decide that we are going to make everyone else's problems our problems. Uh, that we are not going to push for a kind of U.S., making everyone else's issues go away foreign policy. And I think that that's uh, an important guiding principle for us. I really do. And I would like to see 
more uh, going forward. I'd like to see more of that. In Venezuela, we're doing some stuff. We're not doing too much stuff yet. I hope it stays that way. Do I think this is going to get, if you're wondering, I, I do think this is just going to get a lot uglier. I don't think this is going to turn, peaceful transfer of power, we're past that. Um, in my opinion, I could be wrong. I'm hoping, I mean, there's already been some violence or a fair amount of violence just in the last 24 hours. But I think this is going to turn into uh, some real pitched battles in the streets. I just can't see someone like Maduro walking away from the controls of power. Remember, it's not just him. It's all of his top people. It's their fears about their families. It's their future and their minds, no matter what, no matter how thuggish their behavior has been. Thugs don't want to rot in a Venezuelan prison. You know, thugs don't want to be held to account for drug trafficking. And whatever they have to do, they're going to do. Uh, so I think that this is I think this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, now, switching gears here for a moment, if I if I can, because there's a lot of conversation out there about socialism and why why can't we learn the lesson uh, of of history that socialism does not work? You'll say, oh, but Bach, Sweden and and. Denmark and those are not socialist countries. They are countries with very high taxes and very large social welfare programs, but they're also culturally uh, quite cohesive and have traditions and government systems in place that tend to be more efficient and corruption-free than what you have in a lot of other places. Latin America is not well known for rooting out corruption in its midst, to put it mildly. Uh, but another problem that we have, you know, why can't we learn the lesson of why socialism is bad or why can't we learn the lesson about how enlarging government does not result in all these magical and wonderful things we're, we're told that it will? Well, it's because we're, we're often lied to about it. Uh, there's not, it's not just that People don't learn the lessons of history. The The leadership that's supposed to be able to tell us, hey, you know, we've all learned this lesson together. No, they make it up as they go along. I mean, here is Biden, who has made some appearances today on the show. I, 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 I'm just going to keep saying it. I don't think he's impressive. I don't think he's a real threat. I just don't think he can beat Trump at all. I think anyone who really believes that is kind of deluding themselves. But Biden lies about the Trump tax cuts. He just lies about it. Uh, pay 16. It's well past time that the minimum wage nationally be a minimum of $15. It's well past time. It's time to start rewarding work over wealth. Just the first step is reverse President Trump's tax cut for the very wealthy and corporations. We need to eliminate these special tax breaks from the tax code that reward special interests. Let's get rid of capital gains loophole for multimillionaires. Warren Buffett said it best. He should not pay a lower tax rate than the secretary has pays lower. That's because of capital gains. It's wrong. You know what else is wrong? Saying that the tax cuts were only for the wealthy. It's a lie. It's not just an opinion. It's, it's a lie to say that. But Biden goes around saying that. You'll notice that the, the, does the media do a whole Pinocchio's thing about Biden every time he says, of course not. Fact checkers, just like all the rest of the media, fact checkers are a are a dominated profession by leftists and they use it to great effect to push their own political agenda. So why don't we learn the lessons? In part because we're always being lied to and people have other things to do than dig into the history. Although I hopefully 
cover a fair amount of it here on the show. But yeah, Biden lies a lot, folks. Keep that in mind. We'll be right back. A Navy SEAL accused of war crimes. This story has been getting some attention. We're hoping that it gets more because our our guest uh, joining us now says that this is this is unjust. This is not right what is happening. And he'll give us all the backstory here. Uh, we have our friend Tyler Merritt joining us. He is uh, formerly a uh, member of the United States Armed Forces, and he is currently the CEO of Nine Line Apparel. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, so tell me the story here. What what do people, and, and in case they don't know, give us a little bit of the backstory too. What do they need to know right now about Eddie Gallagher? Well, if you want to know all the false news, you can go to New York Times and check out David Phillips' ridiculous article about Navy SEAL uh, warned against reporting their chief for war crimes, where he goes on and publicly condemns the allegations, the, the actions of uh, um, this Navy SEAL. Uh, and really, that's the main premise, is that this individual has been deemed guilty uh, and now has to prove himself innocent, and not only the eyes of the the, the public opinion, but now with UCMJ. Uh, and as we both know, uh, the UCMJ system is uh, a little bit flawed uh, in, in the fact that you don't have the same freedoms and rights that a civilian does. And, and I think that the American public needs to know that there's currently uh, some un, uh, undue command influence that are affecting this case. And there are some false narratives out there that have the potential of sending a, a, a veteran uh, the U.S. Navy SEALs, someone who's been in the Army for the Navy for 19 and a half years, to prison for the rest of his life without the possi- possibility of parole. Um, it, it, this is just something that needs to get out there, and people need to listen and understand why the president has stepped up and said that he needs to be removed from uh, confinement. Uh, well, can, so Tyler, can, can I ask, though, what, what is the what is the narrative that the, as you said, the New York Times and some of the leftist media is saying about this guy and then and then what's the what are the facts of the cases you know them yeah so the new york Times has said that uh in addition to um murdering a 17 year old boy he also uh killed or attempted to kill a uh, small child uh this is my favorite part of the report so uh you, you understand terminal ballistics and, and caliber of a, a long-range uh, assault rifle especially something you know just below a 50 cal and what it would do to a small child if you were to strike them and the times report it says that eyewitness accounts uh say that uh, gallagher shot a small girl and then she got up and walked away you shoot someone with a 50 caliber equivalent in the SOCOM round, uh, they're not getting up. Their body parts are being spread apart uh, many, many uh, feet. Um, and really the premise of this is there is a video and some images of a ISIS fighter, uh, not a child, a 17-year-old military-aged man who, yes, we, the United States, murdered him. Uh, we did it with uh, missiles from an aircraft. Uh, you want to know why? Because you're, you're in the intelligence community. Uh, what is a source? You know, when we're tracking a source in the special operations community, CIA, you know, that or the device, it's their cell phone. You know, we're tracking this individual who's a bomb maker. It doesn't matter that he's 17 years old. Uh, and we prosecuted a target. They went and exploited the target for SSE, site survey exploitation, and they found this 17-year-old. Uh, the Iraqi general is seen interrogating him, and he's got 
you know, what looks like a severed femoral artery. He's got a sucking chest wound. He's in bad shape, lethargic in the video. Um, and this uh, Iraqi general was actually tracked down by friends of mine after the fact. And he has gone on record saying that uh, the Navy SEAL did not uh, murder this child. He, he actually intervened to try to provide life-saving techniques. And there's actually a video out there that shows him doing this. But what happened was after all of this occurred, um, Eddie and his platoon from the SEAL Team 7 made a bad decision. They took a picture with the deceased uh, all around him, and Eddie had a knife uh, out and uh, was holding onto the child. And then the captain of the picture said something effective, I got him with my hunting knife. And that's really where this whole thing uh, came about. People took that, ran with it, and uh, the, the facts of the case are that this Navy SEAL attempted to provide life-saving techniques to an individual who was severely wounded, did not end up being able to keep him alive. Um, but the rumor mill had already started from this picture. And the, the, the Navy commander, Captain Rosenblum, uh, even though he was presented with copious amounts of evidence and, and eyewitness accounts and videos that said he did not murder this child, uh, and by the way, this is not a child. This is a fighter. Uh, he decided to proceed with charges anyways, as his right as a commander, um, and, and chose not to go through SOCOM, not to go through naval special warfare, but to go through conventional Navy. Uh, and since then, they have leaked information to the New York Times, as the New York Times reporter has stated. Uh, they've withheld a lot of the exculpatory evidence, uh, and they continue to push this narrative that this Navy SEAL killed a child. Uh, and while the actions of taking pictures and posing with the deceased are not, you know, widely condoned or really understood, I'll tell you from being someone who's deployed many, many times with guys in the special operations community, you know, you're asking people to go do bad things to bad people, and you have to dehumanize individuals sometimes. And that's not making excuses. It's trying to explain to the general public that if you ask an individual to deploy 10, 12, 13 times and to uh, go take out the enemy, it, it it does desensitize people, and that's the dark humor that people don't understand. We're speaking to Tyler, we Tyler Merritt, CEO of Nine Line Apparel and a uh, former combat pilot in the special operations community himself. Tyler, uh, the treatment that uh, this Navy SEAL has received is also a major uh, concern of yours, and you want to raise awareness about that. I think most, most folks uh, you know, who don't have... Uh, family in the military or haven't served themselves would assume that, well, at least while awaiting trial or while awaiting due process within the UCMJ system, that someone like Chief Gallagher would be treated reasonably well. But from what I see here, that is not the case. Absolutely not. So uh, he was put to pretrial confinement in prison with rapists and murderers uh, for the last seven months, only until you know, Republican Duncan Hunter, uh, Pete Hegseth, other individuals stepped up and begged for the president to intervene. And he did. And he ordered for Gallagher to be released from pretrial confinement. Well, this Navy captain 
has some serious pulse, some really big kinase, uh, decided that he would institute his own pretrial confinement on the naval base. So Eddie is not allowed to be out of uniform. He's not allowed to have visitors. Even Republican uh, Representative Duncan Hunter uh, or one of his, his associates attempted to stop by because, you know, he was involved with this case. And the uh, captain would not allow that individual to see Eddie Gallagher. He's not allowed to talk to his lawyer without uh, using the phone that is issued to the watch commander, and the watch commander stands directly over it. So imagine trying to have a conversation with your attorney about your case, but your commander's delegate is standing two inches away from you. Um, that's not really privacy. In addition to that, he's not allowed to really talk long. So he can talk for five minutes about his case that could send him to prison for the rest of his life. And then he's told he needs to give the phone back. But he's not allowed a cell phone and he's not allowed a computer. By the way, the only reason you take away computers are for like pedophilia. People who have an issue with that are usually told you can't have a computer. Uh, but a computer is kind of needed to prepare for your defense of your life. Uh, Tyler, so I know, guys, what would you like to see, and, and there's a part of this as well that's an action item for folks who want to try to help uh, uh, Chief Gallagher, but well, what, what would you propose or what would you recommend that the president or just the military chain of command do in this circumstance? Hashtag free Eddie. Uh, social media is a powerful tool. Continue to push to your congressmen, the senators that, you know, we have a lot of people who voluntarily sign up uh, for the armed services. They're willing to give their life. Uh, Eddie has done his duty to this country. Uh, he does not deserve this. He deserves the right to a fair trial. He deserves to be home with his, his wife and children. Uh, you know, th this is uh, devastating for him emotionally, mentally, and for his family. You know, to put someone through that who's already done so much, to not even give him the modicum of respect of the presumption of innocence is absolutely ridiculous. And that's the one major flaw of the US UCMJ system is this presumption of guilt just by an accusation. And there's tons of false accusations out there. I would equate it to the, the he said, she said rape accusations. You know, rape, rape is horrible. It's serious. But sometimes, as we all know, people make those things up. Uh, in, in this case, there's a lot of the backstory to, to kind of explain here of how this came about. But, you know, you have some millennial, younger Navy SEALs that uh, didn't like uh, Gallagher. And Gallagher is promoted and going to be uh, in charge of the, the, the training center. And they didn't agree with his tactics. He did a lot of daytime operations. And as you and I both know, those are the most dangerous, but they're also the most effective. So it creates controversy, it creates rifts. And then people decide, you know what, I'm going to make a complaint. Eddie Gallagher kills children. He shouldn't be in charge of people and sending training. And, and a lot of times in the military, we sweep things in the rug. We just reassign people. Uh, and a lot of times people absolutely overreact and they take these accusations as truth as opposed to digging into the facts. Uh, so posing with a deceased ISIS fighter is bad. But if that's a war crime that you need to go to prison for the rest of your life, then I know a lot of people who should be very concerned. And you're selling T-shirts to raise money for Eddie's defense at Nine Line Apparel, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. In uh, the last few weeks, we've been able to raise almost $100,000 uh, for his defense. And, and that's great. And it sounds like a lot. But unfortunately, he's going up against a giant, someone with 
unlimited resources. Uh, and the average cost for something like this is around four or five hundred thousand dollars. So we're a little bit short. Uh, if people go to NineLineApparel.com, they can obviously purchase shirts. Uh, you can also Google search the hashtag of Free Eddie, um, and you'll see all the different uh, nonprofits involved. You can directly uh, give funds. But honestly, the best thing that can happen is to create a big public outcry and learn and get educated on all the ins and outs of what's wrong with the UCMJ system. And the only thing that I, I'd say is, is the positive is the power of social media and the power of the press to be able to go push back DOD. And now the um, Secretary of Defense last night issued a um, a, a demand for the IG uh, Inspector General to look at um, the dealings of the prosecutors because they're leaking information to the press, false information, which is an absolute crime, uh, and they're withholding information, material information from the defense attorneys, which is another absolute crime. Uh, and these things can be proven. So it, it's a really big black eye in the Navy. And when recruitment's at an all-time low and you're having issues of trying to get people to come and join the services, uh, frying one of your own under a false narrative by a New York Times reporter uh, that, that continues to exacerbate the situation for, you know, personal gain, clickbait, Dave Phillips, make him infamous. Uh, this guy is not a reporter. This is not fact. Yeah. He, he just he's he's a warrior and he's 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 uh, deserves a lot more process and, and presumption of innocence than he's getting right now. That's for sure. Tyler Merritt, everybody, CEO, Nine Line Apparel. Tyler, thanks for calling in, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. Team, we'll be right back. I want to make sure that those who work in the oil and gas industry, uh, those who work in the fossil fuel industry, are brought along as partners to make sure that we make this transition in the 10 years that we have left to us, as the science and scientists tell us. So I'm going to work with, listen to everyone, anytime, anywhere, to make sure that we advance this agenda and get to zero uh, net, net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. We're down to just 10 years because of global warming, but I just bet you I thought it was 12 years. Like, what happened on the global warming? Oh, my gosh. Where is Beto? Uh, this guy is, is entirely unserious as a political candidate, but in an era of left-wing absurdity, it's hard, to, it's hard to say that with any certainty. Beto is like all of a sudden at the bottom of the polls. Like he's just not doing well. He went from being the the new hotness, apparently very popular with the ladies. I don't really see it, ladies. I'm just I don't see it. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but you know, he went from being the guy to now somebody who people are thinking he may not last that long in this whole thing. It's possible that he has some breakout moment or whatever it may be, but. You know, the Democrats have turned on him pretty rapidly. But here he is making this case about how we're going to have net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Does anyone take these people, these, these politicians, seriously when they say stuff like this? Uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to have nothing to do. He's going to have no say in the conversation in, well, I was going to say in five years, never mind in, in 30. And more like five months, given the way that he's going right now. Uh, I, I don't understand how people can be so fooled by this climate change absurdity. I don't understand how they can think that this is really this catastrophic threat. I mean, I, I analyze for you often what they think and how they present it and the way that 
but at the end of the day, it's so idiotic that it's it's just hard to fathom. It's such a stupidity and such an obvious uh, delusion. But for a lot of Democrats, it is a matter of orthodoxy now. I mean, if you if you deviate from this, I don't think you can be in good standing anymore as a Democrat and not be a climate change alarmist. I think it is now in that same category, along with being uh, pro-choice, you know, pro-abortion. I think you have to be pro-abortion. I think you have to be pro, uh, well, anti-gun. Uh, you have to be, you know, th- th- those are the, I'm trying to think what else on the left. Oh, you have to be part of the the trans agenda now to be a leftist. If you are a Democrat and you're not in favor of make-believe pronouns for people and all that stuff, that, that you're you're going to get a lot of heat. Um, and Beto is, is a bit of an idiot on policy, but you know who else is not smart on policy and is doing incredibly well for the Democrats? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, who, who had this to say about the Veterans Administration, the VA, something that she, I'm sure, knows absolutely nothing about. But in case you... Didn't know? Now you know. Play 11. I'm fielding questions at the National Nurses United Town Hall around health care and the VA. You might have heard Fox News talking about it. Um, because there is a myth that all VAs everywhere are broken. Because the idea that if we can starve our public systems, we're seeing this with NYCHA, if we can starve them of budgets and make sure that they can't do their job, that we can say the whole system should be thrown away. Uh, you know, she she knows nothing about the VA. She has no substance to the things that she says, but neither does Beto. And what you see is that Democrats, this doesn't bother them at all. These people are effectively actors. And that's why they care so much about their appearance and their ethnicity and their, you know, their personal story and how they fit into the diversity, diversity rhetoric and all this stuff. Um, because it's so superficial and the Democratic Party doesn't seem to have any uniting principles whatsoever other than big government, state in place of God, and putting forward some politicians who are just ignoramuses. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11 It's time for Roll Call. Ronnie, remember, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for Roll Call. Ronnie writes, commercial for Bob Leftzet's podcast comes on before your show. It starts with welcome back to the Bob Leftzet show. Very confusing. Some people turn off your show thinking they got the wrong show. Well, Ronnie, hopefully, hopefully we can figure that out. That's not good. I don't know what's going on there. I do not know what that's all about. Um, but we will look into it, Ronnie. You know, I got, we're on a new podcast platform now. You know, Buck's only got so many, so many things he can handle at one time. So I'll have to look into this one. Thanks, guys, for bringing to my attention. Monique writes, Aloha. I wanted to know who covered for you on April 29th, 2019. An English gentleman liked him. I like you, too, doing guest appearances on Fox News. Thank you. Well, Monique, that would be Raheem Kassam who has the fanciest of accents imaginable. 
and he talks on radio very effectively because he also wears a silk scarf all the time. It's true. I hang out with Rahim in D.C., I know. He's got a posh British accent. Uh, but Rahim does a great job. I was glad he's able to fill in. He did it from Florida yesterday. I was in Florida over the weekend. Had a great time down in South Beach. Yeah, that's right. I needed some. Everybody else in this town was, let's go to the White House Correspondence Dinner. I was like, nah, I don't think so. No White House Correspondence Dinner for me. I'm going to just go down to uh, South Beach and enjoy the sights and some delicious food and some great weather. And I firmly stand behind my decision it was 100 percent the right one so there we go terry listen to you every night often via podcast was trying to comment on roll call has no one else made the comparison of joe biden and michael scott from the tv show the office both are from scranton pennsylvania super awkward and unaware of how clueless they truly are shields hi terry uh terry i don't think i've never heard anybody else make that particular comparison but i can appreciate that you are thinking outside the box although michael scott i think is more is certainly more humorous and i would even argue more considerably more likable than joe biden i think this whole likable joe biden thing is kind of a facade i think he's a very kind of grinning cheshire cat style politician you know real real classic smiles at you shakes your hand glad hands you Kisses the baby's head, tells you what you want to hear, and then, you know, oh, up to the next one. So I, I am not impressed. I, I think that Biden's going to flame out pretty quickly. I think his candidacy is not going to be what a lot of liberals are hoping it is. It's like they never learned the lesson. He, Biden is right in the mold of Hillary 2016, John Kerry 2006, uh, right? Or no, 2004. Sorry, not six. Not six, seven. Not six, four. John Kerry in 2004, uh, these are not people who are inspiring. These are default establishment Democrat candidates, and that has not worked out well for them. They they need, we'll see. Look, I don't. I also don't want to give the Democrats, you guys like, Buck, shut up. Don't give them any advice. I know it's true. I, I don't want to help them pick a better candidate either. I don't think that that makes sense for anybody, So, or at least doesn't make sense for us. So we shall see. We'll see how it goes. I am not impressed by him, though. Sue writes, Buck, do you have any influence over who takes your place on Rising when you were away? I couldn't even finish listening to it because your substitute was such a poor representative of conservative views. I know the format is to be positive, but you're able to do that while still standing up against distortions and misrepresentations of the president. I'm still fuming. Hurry back. Well, Sue, I'm back today, so... That is the good news. Uh, the other answer to your question is, no, I don't have any. Uh, rising is, is something that is uh, not run by me. I'm, I'm a talent on that. Radio, I run, right? Radio, I, I get to make the, make the final call. As long as producer Mike says it's okay. As long as he gives me the, you know, the attaboy. Then, then I can do it. But, but other than the two of us, there's really nothing else. I mean, they, they, let, they let me run my own ship here. Uh, and it's very different on Rising. It's... It's a big website, it's TV, you got a whole bunch of producers, and everybody else gets to weigh in on things. So there you go. Um, but I don't even know who, honestly, I don't even know who filled in for me when I'm gone, because I was on the beach. I'll tell you guys this. I left my phone in the, in the hotel when I went down to the beach, and I it was great. Just just to go like four or five hours at a time, no, no cell phone. I really 
recommend you do this because I, I realized when I was doing it that this is the first time in quite some time that I had done that. And at first you, you have a little bit of phone FOMO, you know, where, where's, where's my phone? Uh, I got to grab my phone. Where's my phone? Uh, but then you recognize that you can live your life without having a pocket computer in your hand at all times. Uh, you can enjoy yourself. You can listen to the ocean waves. You can enjoy conversation with friends, get some sun, go for a walk on the beach, drink a couple of margaritas, maybe three or four. Uh, all that can be done without that device in your hand all the time. I think we're all becoming slaves to our little devices. And in, in media, we're all becoming slaves to social media, too, which is a shame. I don't know how to get around it, but that's where it is. Uh, but, Sue, thank you so much for uh, writing in. I appreciate it. Adam writes, Buck, the line from Transformers is Autobots transform and roll out, not Autobots unite. You made me cry out. Ugh, shields high. Autobots transform and roll out, huh? Uh, I guess it's not Autobots unite. What? Am I, maybe it's, is it Thundercats unite? No, it's Thundercats ho, right? Mark, you're a Thundercats guy. Come on. I have no clue. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? All right, fine. I remember Thundercats, Thundercats, ho. That was a great show back in the day. I love Thundercats. Thundercats. Uh, evening, Buck. Podcast Minion here. This is from Michael. Listening to Thursday's show, uh, just got to answer the challenge. The man that wrecked the buffet club at the Herald Club was Axel Foley, and he was speaking with the chief of the Beverly Hills Police Department. Boom! Movie ninja status confirmed. Shields high. Well, Michael, indeed. Boom and confirmed. Carrie writes, thank you for not praising the Book of Mormon show. Ugh, from a Mormon. Yeah, you know, Carrie, I'm I'm all for humor that's meant in in good faith, and and I you know, and I, I I like edgy, and I like pushing the boundaries. I just in the Book of Mormon stuff, there's just a lot of curse words in place of punchlines, in my opinion. And I I just didn't. It wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't my cup of tea. And it was too much, too much of that for me. Jesse writes, "Hey, Buck, love the show. I had two questions for you." On Friday, you were talking about how the left is trying to control the conversation by controlling the language. So why don't we do the same and reject their definition and use our own, such as an assault weapon is only missiles and rockets instead of what they say. The other question is, are there any leftists you find to be intelligent that I can listen to to see what their side of the argument is? Shields high, Jesse. Two very interesting Points, questions from Jesse here. So let me try to take these and uh, dive into them a little bit. On the control of language, I would prefer that we just refuse to abandon the language that we already have and, and alter the language that we already have to suit leftist fancies, uh, to suit the leftist uh, agenda, because we don't have the same capabilities of of megaphone dominance that the left does uh when it comes to the media academia and and so i just think that we're inherently going to be in a losing battle if we try to make them use words for example that essentially concede the point in a debate before you've even had the debate and that that's what the left is always trying to do they want you to just admit that you're wrong by using words you know an undocumented immigrant for example well, they're just an immigrant without without the proper documentation. There's nothing nothing bad about it, nothing illegal about it. 
You already said they're just undocumented. Just give them some documents. What's the problem? Um, and this is true of, of so many different things. And, and it's also particularly true of uh, pronoun usage now in the whole transgender discussion. If you are forced to bend the knee and say he when it's a she or she when it's a he, uh, you've already conceded the point, really. After that, it's it's just a formality whether you agree or not because you agree based on the language that you're using. And as to leftists that I think are worth listening to hmm. um, on the Russia collusion stuff, it's really by topic more than by personality, I would say. Um, on the Russia collusion stuff, I would say that you have uh, Glenn Greenwald is very consistent on it and really takes the left to task. Uh, Michael Tracy, who is kind of a... a He's a, a salty little fellow, not particularly friendly from my experience, but uh, he, he's he's good on on Russia collusion. Um, I used to be a big fan of Christopher Hitchens writing, even though he's a militant atheist and or rabid atheists, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but he was great on radical Islam and, and great on the Clintons, too. There were some issues and he's just a very, very talented writer. Uh, I don't think that the leftists, a lot of people that are held up as great writers on the left now are just not very good writers. Uh, I don't know how to say it more than that. I mean, Michael Lewis is an incredibly talented storyteller and writer. His books are highly, highly readable. He's very, very good. But he's a, you know, he's a leftist. He's a Democrat for sure. Um, I'd have to think more about who else falls into that that category in terms of who's interesting to to listen to and uh, that will go through the topics and have a real discussion. There's very little of that on the left these days. It's not what it's not what sells. What sells is certainty in stupidity. What sells is Ocasio-Cortez saying dumb things and people saying, yeah, that's right. She knows. She's great. She doesn't have to, like, know this stuff. She just feels. And what she feels is true. Of course, that is not true, but that is what people think. Um, but I'll think more about any really worthwhile leftists uh, these days. You know, look, I mean, there's a lot of I read the New York Times a lot. I and mean, the New York Times has some excellent writers, although it's editorial writers. I don't think look, the New York Times is best. Most talented editorial writer is Ross Douthit, who is their conservative. So he's not particularly pro Trump conservative, but he is the New York Times version of a conservative. He, he's the most skilled at a keyboard. And I've read a lot of New York, you know, people like Charles Blow. I mean, he's just not a very good writer just not i mean they can get mad at me for saying it or whatever he's just not a very good writer um tom friedman is a very overrated writer just kind of mediocre uh but you go through and there's there are some people that are very talented but I, again doubt that isn't isn't a leftist so that doesn't really answer your question all that well uh trisha writes love your show have a question on immigration you know what trisha actually i'm gonna come let me do we'll do a double instead of just running through this let me do a double roll call we'll hit a quick pause i'll be right back we'll finish this because i missed you guys yesterday we'll finish this out uh stay with me all right so i'm finishing up roll call here because it's tuesday and isn't it tuesday i almost got that wrong because i missed yesterday i i you know I, I told a friend of mine yesterday uh down in florida I, I do miss all of you you know even when i get a day off and i'm having i had a great day i had a fantastic weekend Really, really enjoyed it, and just, it was awesome. But uh, great food, great company. But I, I just got to tell you, I miss the show when I'm not doing the show. It's it's a problem. I'm not saying that I miss other work that I have to do, but I do miss the radio show. I do miss the radio show. All right, Trisha writes, love the show. Well, thank you, Trisha, love you too. 
have a question on immigration, and I seriously wonder why this hasn't been done with the crazy, out-of-control people coming to our border. Why doesn't the Trump administration just put a bunch of judges at the border and hear the so-called asylum claims and then deport them right away? Second question, why don't they also do an operation with ICE and start deporting people whose date in court passed and they didn't show up? Curious for your uh, opinion on these ideas. Well, Tricia, your first suggestion is pretty much what the administration wants to do and has been beginning to do. So you're right on target with that. Uh, They need a lot more of it. And keep in mind that whenever you're talking about judicial process, there'll be people that just try to abuse the process, meaning that they will uh, take it upon themselves to just extend it out or, or find ways to make everything harder than it would otherwise be in order to to just you know use the the seams in the system so that effectively people get to stay even when they're not supposed to stay. So that will still even if you have judges there, they'll probably get a you know oh uh, I need to challenge this or we need an appeal or you know whatever it may be. There'll be different things going on. And and as to the deporting people that don't qualify for asylum, that absolutely should happen. But I, I actually made a prediction today on Rising that what you're going to see is the moment those numbers start to tick up, when they, when they accelerate the process of hearing the asylum claims and they really get into a group, and I think they will be able to do this because they recognize it's a real national, it is a true national emergency Uh, As they do that, and then it becomes clear to the Democrats and the left that you're going to have effectively a a rolling mass deportation that's occurring of hundreds of thousands of people, then they're going to just try to put the brakes on that, too. And that's where you see that they really are open borders, and this is all in bad faith. And their argument that, oh, they're legally allowed to claim asylum, yeah, but then they're legally also mandated to be deported if they don't get the asylum. They're going to—they only want the— you know, they only support the legality of claiming asylum. They don't support the legality of what happens if you don't get it. You'll see that with Democrats because they don't they don't debate this in good faith. They just don't. Uh, number 23, Sexton. Nice job, Buck. You won Supercross on the Freedom Bike. According to a guy named Mark, there's a young man who is a uh, Supercross motorbike racer um, whose last name is Sexton. Sexton's a pretty common name. Folks. For those who don't know, just because I like to always do a little bit of fun side note education on the show, a sexton is the, well, the grave digger and the offer offering collector in a church. He also tries to usually sweep things out, keep it clean. He's kind of like the church custodian. So that's right. I'm a church janitor. That's what a sexton is. Uh, it's not a sextant, T-A-N-T. That is for uh, astronomical nautical usage trying to figure out where you are using the horizon and the stars or some other nonsense like that um so there you have a team um back in action back here in the swamp it is going to be a a momentous week that much i can assure you of there's going to be a lot of stuff going on had some meetings today that lead me to believe that there's going to be some fireworks on capitol hill later this week so we'll get to talk about that uh, if you have any thoughts, suggestions, opinions, facebook.com slash in the place to send them to me. I'm here every day this week, team, so get excited. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.